Good morning, Christ Church. Welcome to our Sunday service. I'm Pastor HK, and it is my genuine privilege and honor to be here with you guys. Now, today is December 27th, the last Sunday of the year. Can you believe that? It, it, it has been such a wild, unforgettable year for every single one of us. And yet, as we look back, it, we can, it's a huge testimony that because of God's grace and mercy and love, we're here today. And today is our Covenant Renewal Sunday as well. And so after today's message, we're going to transition into the Covenant Renewal um, prayer and the confession. So you know, stay tuned. And I, I pray and hope that through today's message, that it will just magnify how important it is for us to renew our covenant with the Lord. And, and we're able to renew it not because of our righteousness or our accomplishments, but because of God's grace and mercy and love. So, yeah, so let's see what today, um, today's message is all about and see what God has in store for us. So today's text, it comes from Gospel of John, chapter 21, and the main text that we're going to go over is verses 15 to 17, and the title of today's message is Jesus and I. I, I wanted to make it very personal that, yeah, that, man, we're a, we are here. We made it this whole year because of our Savior. Now, I just want to provide a little bit of a context where, you know, Apostle, Ch- Apostle John, he wrote it around 85 to 90 years after Jesus' resurrection. And the overarching theme of this entire gospel is that John wanted to make sure that Jesus, is just, the identity of Jesus being the Son of God was clearly known, clearly addressed, and, and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. That's the overarching theme of the gospel. And so church, we're going to have a little Bible study. So if you're able, I mean, I know that we're, you know, we're home right now. Um, you know, pull out your phone or, your, or you know, get a hard copy of the Bible if you're able. I know we're not really usually, you know, we don't usually do this. But again, I just want us to study the text today so together. So why don't you grab your Bible or, you know, open up your Bible app, you know, turn to John 21 and then we'll go, you know, and we'll go, you know, verses by verses and see what God has in store for us today. Now, the scene that I want to share with you today is, that Jesus, after you know, his death and resurrection, he appears to his disciples. And in the, in the text, it shows that he appeared to the seven of them, seven of his, you know, his disciples. And, and, the, and the text shows that you know, they were fishing at night. They were fishing at night, and unfortunately, they caught nothing. For those of us who fish, and I, I recently picked up fishing, Man, when you catch nothing, like when you're out there and then you catch nothing, that's like one of the most disappointing feeling ever. Because you're out there, you, you invest in everything, and yet there's nothing. Especially when you thought you have a nibble and then you reel it in and then the fish took all the baits and stuff like that. It took your money, pretty much. And so that's one of the discouraging moments. So this Gospel of John 21, it just shows that the, the, the disciples, even after Christ Jesus' resurrection, in a way, things were still... You know, uncertain things were still a little bit, you know, unsettling, and so they were fishing and whatnot. And we're gonna start with verses five. So, if you have your Bible, let's read together. Verse five it says, right, "Let's start with verse four, actually." So, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not re- realize that it was Jesus. So, imagine this picture where the disciples, the seven disciples, were out in the ocean fishing, casting out the nets and everything. And they're, they caught nothing all night long. Jesus was standing on the shore. Now, early in the morning, as verse 4 says, Jesus stood on the shore, but disciples didn't realize it. Now, verse 5, he called out to them, Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. 
throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in, net in because of the large number of fish. We're going to pause that real quick because the scripture clearly says that the disciples didn't know who Christ was as he was standing on the shore. So isn't it interesting how the disciples, again, they had a long night and then they see a stranger, a stranger on the shore and then the stranger says, hey, why don't you cast out on the other side and then you'll catch everything. And without any, there's no account here in the scripture where there's no any like hesitation or like, you know, nothing. Just, they just simply listened to the stranger. And they did, and then what happened? They experienced this miraculous catch. Biblical scholar uh, William Barclay says this about verses 5 and 6. It happens very often that the man with the hand net must rely on the advice of someone on shore because in the clear water, he can often see a school of fish invisible to the man in the water. Jesus was acting as a guide to his disciples. Now let's read verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken off and jumped into the water. Now imagine this again. You know, verse up to verse 7 or even up to verse 8, the disciples, it was just they, it wasn't it wasn't their day, pretty much. It wasn't their night and whatnot, and they cut nothing. And then they're, just when they're about to give up and call it a day, a stranger came out of nowhere, told them, hey, cast out the net on the other side. And then and they reluctantly, they, I mean, they just, they listened, they responded, and experienced a miraculous catch. I mean, catch of their lifetime, pretty much, I'm guessing. And verse 8, it says what? Then the disciple whom Jesus loved. Scholars believe that it was John the Apostle. So John the Apostle was one of the seven disciples along with Peter. John is telling, telling Peter, hey, that's Jesus. That's our Messiah. And notice how Peter, as soon as he heard this from John, Peter, something happens, like something clicks in his heart, in his mind, that without even processing, without even thinking, he simply just responded to what John has told him, that it, it is the Savior that is standing on the shore. Now, there's two things that Peter is doing in verse 7 where Peter, he eagerly jumps into the water. Again, they're not on the shore. They're out in the ocean fishing. Peter eagerly jumps into the water. And while he's jumping and while he's, I guess, running or swimming, I should say, he's swimming to the shore, he's putting on his outer garment. Now, during um, during the biblical context or the setting or even nowadays, you know, it's, it's a respectful thing to, to put on our clothes when we, try to, when we want to show our respect and, and, and reverence and, and honor to our guests or someone that is special, right? Like, we don't just go shirtless unless, I mean, if we have to. But if we had the choice, we tend to wear something nice. You know, we dress up. Uh, we offer our best. And so Peter, even though he had nothing in, this, in his moment right here in, in, this, in chapter 21, for him to jump out of the water showed his heart. I mean, it just, there's a, there's a, there was a divine holy moment, but he also wanted to express his worship to God by putting on his, on his garment. And so Peter just really expressed his love to Jesus in, in verse 8. Now verse 9, it says, 
when they landed, they saw fire burning coals with fish on it and some bread. It was, they're about to have an unforgettable breakfast, church. Where, and then we're going to continue, verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew. Now picture this again, church. I mean, again, we went from the disciples. Again, I'm just going to quickly recap. Disciples went from no fishing overnight, a very long night, and then they went, what? I mean, Peter, and they saw strangers telling, hey, cast on the other end, which they did, and then Peter knew that it was Jesus. He jumped out of the water. And now as they're coming back to the shore, the disciples, they, they're invited to this holy breakfast with the Lord. Holy breakfast. I don't know about you, but you know, something about having food you know, with our beloved, something about having, you know, breaking bread together, I mean, just that breakfast scene or even lunch, dinner, I mean, it's special. It, it's, it's a very intimate intention from Christ and even for us when we, when we break bread together. I know that because of COVID, it's very difficult. I mean, we can only have, you know, you know we can only share a meal with our, our family members or well, it should be family members only at this point. But, you know, we remember the days when, you know, when you and I, we were able to just, you know, go out and, and had, had a food together without worrying about COVID. I mean, I definitely miss those days for sure. And I'm sure you're missing those days as well. But church, let's look at this, how, again, Jesus invites them into this table, breakfast. And the disciples, all seven of them knew who he was. And they didn't, they didn't even ask or even question his identity. But remember, <laughs> I think this was very interesting because in the past, before Jesus' death, you know, a lot of them, they asked him, Lord, like, you know, who are you? Like, you know, man, like, are you really the Messiah and stuff like that? So there's... The disciples had a little bit of doubts, which was a very human, uh, human nature, human response. And yet, after they witnessed the resurrection, they didn't even question him whatsoever. And I really believe that I believe that this holy breakfast scene really reflects the holy communion that you and I we get to experience you know, monthly you know, at our church, the first Sunday of the month, the holy communion, where you know we get to. When, when, when the pastors, you know, we break the bread and we lift up the cup of wine, the whole aspect of the Holy Communion is a sacrament where it's a holy moment where we get to reflect what Christ did for us on the cross, the, bo- the body and the blood that was broken and, and shed for us, for our sins. And so again, so now we're in this intimate moment, intimate moment here with our Savior and now we're about to witness a major shift in the story. Verse 15, it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, scholars believe that when the first two questions were asked, when scholars believe when Jesus asked the first two questions saying, Peter, do you love me? The love that Jesus used is in a Greek word was agape. Agape means unconditional love or sacrificial love of God. And so, so Jesus asked Peter, Peter, sign of, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? Now, scholars noted this, how when Peter responded and you know, he used the word love, right? Saying, Lord, you know that I love you, right? This love, scholars believe that the that love that Peter used was another Greek word called filial love. And the filial love is actually, a, it's to, for English translation, it's like, you know, friend's love, brotherly or sisterly love. Like Philadelphia, right? Like the, the city of brotherlyhood, brotherly love. I butchered that, much, so I'm sorry. But it's something, it's, it's, it's along those lines. So Peter was responding, saying, Lord, you know that I brotherly love you. I filial love you. But Peter didn't really catch that Christ was saying agape, I don't think. But interesting that when Jesus asked the third time to Peter, the third question that Christ asked him, Jesus actually used filial love. Peter, do you brotherly love me? And of course, Peter, you know, answering the same question for the three times, I mean, he was hurt, which I think, to be honest, I can empathize with that man. You know, I wasn't there when this whole conversation took place, but I'm sure Peter was, he had a one-on-one time with the Lord. It was such a genuine, vulnerable, holy moment. And Peter, I'm sure he was a little bit hurt because, you know, he expressed his love to God. And yet, you know, God asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, why is this such a, major shift because church we have to understand Peter up to this point he was experiencing a lot of a lot of regrets because what happened he denied Christ three times and out of all the disciples Peter he expressed that you know what Lord I would never disown you or abandon you I would never forsake you you know I would die with you if you read the scripture if you read the gospel Peter Peter verbalizes that very clearly, saying, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stick with you to the end. But Jesus, what happens? He said, Peter, I'm sorry, but you know, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. And when you do, you're going to hear the rooster crow. And in the scripture, when, when Peter actually experienced that, scripture actually makes it very clear that he wept bitterly when that happened, when he denied Christ three times. Now, I'm about to share with you another um, quote from William Barclay, and he says this about verses 15 to 17, about the whole dialogue that you and I were witnessing about Jesus asking the three questions and Peter responding three times. He says this, Jesus, in his gracious forgiveness, gave Peter the chance to wipe out the memory of the threefold denial by a threefold declaration of love. Let me read that one more time. Jesus, in his gracious forgiveness, gave Peter 
the chance to wipe out the memory of the threefold denial by a threefold declaration of love. Peter desperately needed a divine rescue. He really needed that. Even though he experienced the resurrection, even though he heard about Jesus' resurrection personally for him because of what he has done, because he was living with the fact that, man, I denied the Savior three times after I said I'm going to walk with him. fact that Christ told him, that, hey, I'm not going to stay dead. I'm going to come back. And yet Peter, in the moment, couldn't remember that prophecy. And what happened? He panicked and he denied Jesus three times. So he was living with his regrets. I mean, his, the weight of his burdens was just eating him up. So in verse 15, when Christ called Peter saying, Simon, son of John, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? fact that Jesus called him by his full name during this time, you know, when you refer to someone with their, um, with their family, you know, saying son of, you know, X, Y, Z, that's in a way in the, was a biblical way of saying full name um, during this time. And so the fact that Christ called Peter with his full name, I mean, he got his attention. When my mom called me by my full name, I knew something was about to go down. I knew that it was, it was, it was, you know, it was a moment where I give my full attention to my mama in, in, that, in that moment. And Jesus wanted his full attention saying, look, you denied me three times. I knew that was going to happen. But man, he needed that rescue, church. He needed that. Peter desperately needed that rescue. You know, when we read verses 15 to 17, I just want to share with you that this holy moment that Peter experienced with Jesus, it was a huge, um, I mean, it's titled called, there's some scriptures, some version of the Bible says, you know, Jesus reinstates Peter. And this holy reinstatement that Peter experienced was actually a very interesting and special one for him because this whole uh, dialogue that you and I, we witnessed in verses 15 to 17, Jesus was actually giving Peter the divine ordination to, uh, to the shepherding role that, that Christ has called him to do in, in the kingdom of heaven. Because notice how Jesus said, you know, do you love me, right, after Peter? And then notice how Christ said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. The three responses of Christ after Peter said, I, you know, Lord, I love you. It was a holy moment when Jesus said, hey, if you love me, then go and feed the next generation of Christians. Go take care of my people. Feed them, take care of them. And this concept of feeding a lamb, I mean, it seems like a very, it, it was directly towards for Peter to really nurture and, and disciple you know, new Christians. And when Christ says to you, know, take care of my sheep, it was a notion that Peter was to nurture and guide the, the, ex, the experienced Christians, quote-unquote experienced, um, the veterans, maybe. And then notice how the last time Jesus said, feed my sheep. Because sometimes you know, even the sheep, they need some feedings as well. And so Jesus reminds Peter that, hey, you're going to have to take care and feed the sheep as well. So it was a holy ordination moment for Peter 
despite of everything that he has done. You know, our faith journey is not measured by our righteousness, but it is measured by our faith in our Savior, who alone is righteous. That you and I, as we have witnessed Peter receiving this amazing, this God-sized grace, mercy, and love, and Peter is now reinstated, you and I, we receive the same grace, same mercy and love as Peter did. That every single one of us, you know, we talk the talk, we walk, you know, about, oh, you know, 2020, it's going to be a year where I'm going to, it's going to be more God in my life. I'm going to invite God more into my lives. But then COVID happened and then we look back, man, we couldn't walk the walk. That you and I, you know, we had many shortcomings. You know, we had, we shortchanged God many times. Let's be honest. But the beauty and the power and the mystery of the gospel is that despite our endless shortcomings, Christ did not re- rebuke us. He does, he does not rebuke us at all. But he gently disciplines us. He guides us and leads us to be more like him. He reminds us that he is the holy God and we are his holy people. Just as Christ demonstrated his grace to Peter. Because Jesus could have simply, I mean, e- easily rebuked Peter without any I mean, just, I'm just, I mean, church, process this with me. He, Christ really could have seriously rebuked him. And he had every right to do so. But then, because, instead of rebuking him, instead of rebuking Peter, Christ embraced and restored his divine identity. And that's why I just love how today is our, you know, covenant renewal service where you and I, we're invited to renew our covenant with the Lord because, again, not by our accomplishments, not by our righteousness, but it is by His grace and mercy and love. Because our God is righteous, we're able to renew our covenant today. Amen. And so if you have your um, bulletin, you know, on the last page, it says the covenant prayer. So what we're going to do is we're gonna, I'm going to read, the, read the, co- the covenant prayer out loud. And at this time, I just want, I want to encourage you guys to listen because this covenant prayer is known to be the most dangerous prayer. That, you know, we're not going to just make this some liturgy that you and I, you know, we grew up reading or reciting. But no, it's, I pray and hope that this is a time where we genuinely pray this prayer out loud to God and we will devote, de- devote our lives to Him for years to come. So I want to encourage you guys to listen to the covenant prayer. And then after that, I'm going to lead us into the prayer of confession. And then we'll recite this prayer one more time. So the covenant prayer says this. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praise for you or criticize for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, 
You are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Now we're going to recite the prayer of confession. God our Father, you have shown us the way to life in Jesus. We confess with shame our slowness to love him more and our reluctance to follow him. You have spoken and called us, but we have failed to listen. You have shown us your glory, but we have been too blind to see. We have received countless blessings, but have given you little thanks. We are unworthy of your changeless love. Now let us recite the bolded part together. God, have mercy on me according to your overwhelming love and kindness. Forgive me, Lord, and cleanse me of my sin. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Amen. And now let us commit ourselves in covenant to Christ as his servants. Let us give ourselves to him so that we may fully belong to him. Jesus Christ has left us with many services to be done. Some of these services are easy and honorable, but some are difficult and disgraceful. Some line up with our desires and interests. Others are contrary to both. In some, we please both Christ and ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. So church, if you're able, let us recite the covenant prayer together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me, do, put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praise for you or criticize for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Amen. Amen.